Good evening, everybody. Uh, it is our 281st episode of Fireside Chats, and we didn't put a cool title out there, so I don't know if it grabbed everyone's attention to join in tonight, but we will be talking about one of the most profound instruments of the American Revolution. And when I say instruments, I don't mean uh, uh, um, a physical weapons to speak of. I'm talking about uh, a theology and a man who espoused it and put it forward throughout the 13 colonies that uh, he was dead before the Revolutionary War started. Uh, he was dead before the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Uh, he, uh, he was a minister and he put together a sermon that uh, shook the eastern seaboard and started to develop the idea of, well, revolution or fighting against tyranny. And this was Jonathan Mayhew. He lost prominence uh, in the 20th century. He's kind of disappeared from the scene. But all of a sudden, people are re uh, reinvestigating his sermon uh, also his works. There's a couple of really good books out there, and I'm going to challenge you to read uh, one of them. Um, but I want to go through this, and we're going to do it, all going to do it in an hour. Uh, last night we had close to, I think, uh, 600 people at one point tuning in, watching the program live, and I think we have close to probably two, 3,000 hits uh, on last night's, and that was dealing with the uh, vilification of Christianity, which is in the works right now. I mean, as we took a look at Miss Newman's uh, question and uh, as Politico was giving her questions and her answers, they seemed insightful and thoughtful, but in reality we were watching as uh, she was conflating all of these terms, white supremacy, insurrection, and applying it to evangelical Christians. Well, it, it doesn't just stop with a high-level individual who comes from Homeland Security. Uh, it also is inundating our seminaries. Um, we, we have uh, uh, a number of theologians who are contending that uh, what is taking place in the silencing of the church and that ministers like myself and others around the country who are contending against what we declare to be tyranny of usurping our First Amendment and silencing and closing the church and declaring the church non-essential while abortion clinics are essential. Again, cannabis distributors are essential, liquor stores are essential, but the church, in accordance at least with our governor, Governor Newsom, is not considered essential. Of course, we had the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, even that I considered to be well, it was a step in the right direction, but it certainly wasn't landmark by any stretch of the imagination. A little disappointed in Amy Coney Barrett, one of her very first opportunities to defend religious liberty, and uh, she sided with Justice Roberts, who is uh, not my favorite, of course, probably not yours as well. But where did all this come from? How did America have its founding? How did we break away from the British Empire? And it was all in this one minister by the name of Jonathan Mayhew. And I want to show you uh, a slide here. I put a few together. So this is uh, Jonathan Mayhew, 1720 to 1766. He didn't live long, about 45, 46 years. He received his uh, doctorate from Harvard in 1747. And shortly thereafter, Mayhew was ordained as a Congregationalist minister, and he pastored in the West Church in Boston until his death in 1766. Now in this slide, you can see a picture of him on the left. In the center is this remarkable sermon 
that he gave on the anniversary, 100th anniversary of, the, of King Charles I's death, I believe it is. And he talks about unlimited submission and non-resistance to the higher powers. Uh, and it's a discourse. And this sermon went through every pulpit in the, in the eastern seaboard, through every colony. There on the right, you can see his signature, Jonathan Mayhew. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, and on this next slide is an interesting quote from this man. He says, The king is as much bound by his oath not to infringe the legal rights of the people as the people are bound to yield subjection to him. From whence it follows that as soon as the prince sets himself above the law, he loses the king in the tyrant. He does to all intents and purposes unking himself. That's them, Thems are fighting words. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Jonathan Mayhew, as I said earlier, 1766, uh, was according to John Adams, a transcendental genius who threw all the weight of his great fame into the scale of the country in 1761 and maintained it there with zeal and ardor till his death. He was also, uh, J. Patrick Mullins contends, the most politically influential clergyman in the 18th century America and the intellectual progenitor of the American Revolution in New England. And there on the left, you see the book that I want you to read. It's called The Father of Liberty, uh, Jonathan Mayhew and the Principles of the American Revolution by J. Patrick Mullins. Now, this book has been reviewed by a number of people. I'm going to take a look at two of the reviews. One was from an individual with the Gospel Coalition, and of course, he doesn't like the book or finds it to be troublesome. And then we also have another one from the Federalists, and there's an individual who um, has reviewed this book, and we'll take a look at some of their comments. Um, Mullins, the author, uh, puts it, If the principles of the Declaration were indeed self-evident for most New Englanders, by 1776 this was due in no small part to the exertion of the West Church pastor who preached these principles with fiery, fiery eloquence and forceful logic in the transatlantic press from 1747 to 1766. Let's go to the next slide. As a pastor of the Congregational West Church in Boston, Mayhew championed the principles of natural rights, constitutionalism, and resistance to tyranny in press and pulpit from 1750 to 1766. He did more than any other clergyman to prepare New England for disobedience to British authority in the 1760s and should, Mullins argues, be counted alongside such framers and fomenters of revolutionary thought as James Otis, Patrick Henry, and Samuel Adams. Uh, so come on back to me. Uh, probably a lot more fun to watch the screen, but I wanted to take a look. Now, um, this is the picture, and I showed you this earlier. Uh, it's, it, the title of it is real simple, A Discourse Concerning Unlimited Submission and Non-Resistance to the Higher Powers with Some Reflections on the Resistance Made to King Charles I and on the anniversary of his death, in which the mysterious doctrine of the prince's saintship and martyrdom is unriddled and online. And then, and then you find this an online text. You can find it at uh, Digital Commons, Commons at University of Nebraska. You can find the entire sermon. Uh, it's downloadable. It's about 50 pages. They preached a long time back then, and, uh, but they had a lot to say, and they were highly educated. But Jonathan Mayhew gave this sermon... And it was intense. And I want to read to you the preface of this sermon. 
It says, um, The ensuing discourse is the last of three upon the same subject with some little alterations and additions. It is hoped that but few will think the subject is uh, of it an improper one to be discoursed on in the pulpit under notion that it is preaching politics instead of Christ. However, to remove all prejudice of this sort, I beg it may be uh, remembered that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. He uh, capitalizes all of that for instruction in righteousness. Now, see, they even back then, they had issues with pastors dealing in politics because that's the last place they wanted them because the last thing you want in politics is truth. That's not true. But the idea is somehow we have managed over the years to see uh, religion influence the political world, and then when we start to get a handle on it, we don't want religion in there anymore, and then we start to lose our freedom, and then religion creeps back in because God is the author of freedom. So uh, he says, for instructions in righteousness, he goes on to say, why then should not those parts of Scripture which relate to civil government be examined and explained from the desk as well as others? Obedience to this civil magistrate is a Christian duty, and if so, why should not the nature, grounds, and extent of it be considered in a Christian assembly? Besides, if it be said that it is out of character for a Christian minister to meddle with such a subject, this censure will at last fall upon the holy apostles. They write upon it in their epistles to Christian churches, and surely it cannot be deemed either criminal or impertinent to attempt an exclamation excuse me, explanation of their doctrine. It was near the approach of the 13th of January that turned my thoughts to this subject on which the uh, solemnity, security against uh, unmerciful, unmercifully priest-ridden, but by keeping all imperious bishops and other clergymen who love to lord it over God's heritage from getting their foot into the stirrup at all. Let them be once fairly mounted and their beasts, the laity, may prance and flounce about to the purpose, and they will at length be so jaded and hacked by these reverend jockeys that they will not even have spirits enough to complain that their backs are galled or uh, air like Balaam's ass to be rebuked the madness of the prophet. The mystery of iniquity began to work even in the day of some of the apostles, but the kingdom of the Antichrist was then, in one respect, like the kingdom of heaven, however different in all others. It was as a grain of mustard seed. This grain has sown um, in Italy the fruitful field, and though it were the least of all seeds, it soon became a mighty tree. Speaking of the Catholic Church, uh, as you can see, protests, Protestant, they uh, uh, protested, Luther protested against the Catholic Church. That's where we get this term Protestant, protesters. And of course, he's coming against the oligarchy of what was considered the Catholic Church uh, and, and uh, this theocracy that they had established. And so he goes on to point out that this has to be addressed and wanting to take a look in a greater extent to Romans uh, 13. And so this is the text of the message, I'm not going to cover it in its entirety tonight, but suffice it to say, when he begins his sermon, like we all do here at Calvary Chapel, we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and this would be the passage that he'd be teaching from, Romans 13, verses 1 through 8. And, uh, and he began to um, go through 
uh, an exegetical study of Romans 13. And in doing this, uh, I wanted to read to you, and then I'll, I'll get to another uh, commentator on the book that I had shown you earlier. But this is um, called uh, Making the Miracle, Jonathan Mayhew and the Enlightenment in America. Uh, and it's, um, um, if you want to know the American miracle, how it came to happen, start with 18th century preacher Jonathan Mayhew in the book, Father of Liberty. And, and this person goes on to do a review of it. Several recent books on the Enlightenment have sought to celebrate its legacy, but have been strangely cursory in their examination of actual Enlightenment thinkers, their ideas and their influence, sometimes treating uh, the embrace of reason, individual rights, and political freedom as a miracle that seemingly came out of nowhere. If you're interested in the question of how that miracle actually came to happen, not how to use the Enlightenment as a springboard for some more contemporary agenda, but to understand what it was on, uh, what, what it was on its own terms, particularly in America, a very useful place to start is this book. It's called Father of Liberty, Jonathan Mayhew, and the Principles of the American Revolution by J. Patrick Mullins. You can look it up. It's on Amazon. Buy it. Mullins attempts to bring new attention to Jonathan Mayhew, a New England preacher and towering figure in the years leading up to the American Revolution. By the early 20th century, he had lapsed into historical obscurity, but Mayhew was not obscure to the America's founding generation. Towards the end of his life, and, and this is John Adams, President of the United States, uh, John Adams famously declared that the real American Revolution happened before 1776 and was in the minds and the hearts of the people a change in their religious sentiments of their duties and obligations. What is less well remembered is that he prominently credited Mayhew among the most conspicuous, the most ardent and influential of those who caused this transformation to draw the character of Mayhew, he continued, would be uh, to transcribe a dozen volumes this transcendent genius threw all the weight of his fame into the scale of his country in 1761 and maintained it there with zeal and ardor until his death in 1766. Father of Liberty is just one volume, a relatively short and very readable academic study that was published in uh, 2018. Great deal, great deal less fanfare than some of the other current books about the Enlightenment, but it is much more informative in tracing the specific ideas behind the American Revolution and how they were spread. And then this author says, and he's from the Federalists, as Mullins puts it, if the principles of the Declaration were indeed self-evident for most New Englanders by 1776, this was due in no small part to the exertions of the West Church pastor who preached these principles with fiery eloquence, forceful logic in the transatlantic press. And this is a quote we showed you earlier. But what did Mayhew preach? Uh, if you're thinking it's a vindication of today's religious right that, preacher, that a preacher was, a instru uh, was instrumental in laying the groundwork for the American Revolution, um, his idea is you need to hold that thought because Mayhew wasn't completely orthodox. Now, that's a challenge, and this man, by his own admission, is an Ayn Rand follower. He's not very religious. But sadly, the one who is religious that we're going to take a look at from the Gospel Coalition, Thomas Kidd, uh, also comes to another strange conclusion. And it's amazing, just like with Abraham Lincoln, you take a, a figure from history and you mold them to be whatever you want. But the reality of the fact is, in this sermon that you need to read in, in, in its entirety and take a look at how he uh, examined Romans 13 
and establish this understanding of the Declaration of Independence, which basically was to declare, we're liberating ourselves from you because you're a tyrant, as they spoke to King George. Now those at the Gospel Coalition and others would declare that our founders were rebellious and didn't need to split the British Empire. Mm, that's, that's an interesting concept. I'll read a portion of that momentarily. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to... Um, Yes, here it is. This is good. Mayhew preached several sermons on Romans 13. The sermon below was considered so important that it was printed and widely distributed throughout the American colonies. Mayhew was also famous for his election sermons. Uh, in Mayhew's day, it was common for preachers to preach a sermon to the governor and the legislators immediately following an election. The message of Mayhew's sermon, challenging passive obedience and non-resistance to all rulers, was radical and unmistakable. Uh, the king must repent of his tyrannies or face the consequences of his subjects, forcibly throwing off the chains of tyranny. <laughs> this, this is the guy that started the American Revolution and the nation that you've enjoyed for 244 years. Get upset at him. Don't get upset at me. I'm reading about his life. So, hey... Um, Mayhew's sermon was even sent to the king and to the British Parliament uh, as a remonstrance, uh, remonstrance. Mayhew's habit of serving remonstrances on tyrants became a common practice with many other patriot preachers as well. And King George branded these nonconformist clergymen as the Black Regiment, mocking them for the black robes that they wore. Mayhew's sermon resulted in the motto for the American Revolution. Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Let me repeat that. Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Mayhew has been characterized by many historians as a liberal, as a radical, and indeed he was. Uh, we should, as Americans today, who today enjoy the fruits of liberty, note that all of America's founding fathers were called liberals and radicals. Uh, by friend and foe alike, in their day the conservatives were the king's Tories, or what they would use as a term called toadies. Pastors of that day who were loyal to the tyrant king were called royalists and loyalists. They taught unlimited submission and passive obedience in all cases, irrespective of how wicked the ruler was and how tyrannical his acts towards his subjects were. Pause for a moment. This is where we are now. We have members of the clergy in the United States of America now that are at a place where they're looking at churches being declared non-essential, abortions clinics being declared essential, watching as businesses are being destroyed, abused being quarantined with the abusers, watching as this pandemic with the projections never coming to fruition, and seeing that this isn't what they said it was, and knowing who it affects, and yet not being accountable for their failure in the projections, but the devastation to the economy and to the community and to families. Uh, we've had the largest uh, opioid uh, deaths in, recorded in American history in the last 12 months. This is all a result of bad governance. And not just bad governance, but tyrannical governance that would declare the church to be non-essential and, and bar it from ministering to our people when we are protected by this Constitution, they swore to defend. And so his statement is, in, in declaration of this, 
that, and, and, we, and we see other pastors saying, you know, you need to submit. Romans 13 says to submit. And these Tory pastors, these loyalists of the king, they taught unlimited submission. Unlimited submission and passive obedience. You know, we just, I just preach the gospel. I don't do politics, bro. I've heard that ad nauseum. I just preach, I don't do politics. Everybody does politics. Everybody does it. You do politics. Even the church that we said, why aren't you open? The largest church in California, you figure it out. We sent them a letter saying, why aren't you open? They said, we are open. We're open to feed the homeless. We're open to do counseling. But we choose not to open our church for services because we care about our community. Well, that's kind of a slap. That's saying we don't care about our community. And they're stating it that they love their neighbor. And my response to that pastor was, you know, and, and they also said, and plus we're not political. I say, you can say you're not political, but you are. You are. Because you're submitting in unlimited submission and passive obedience to tyranny. And thus, you're destroying businesses, and you fish downstream with your homeless ministry and, and your unemployment ministry and your counseling ministry, all of the victims that you help create by not contending with bad government. And you say you're not political. You are political. You're just passive. And in that passivity, you're creating the victims and you're creating the ones whom you now downstream are caring for. And, and, and you're, you're projecting your moral pietism and your virtue signaling as though somehow because we're contending with tyranny, wanting to set captives free, wanting to allow people to get back to their businesses and have their lives back, you're saying that we're in violation of Romans 13, and that's where Mayhew would say, no, you're in violation of Romans 13. This is, this is the division that occurred at the beginning of the founding of the nation, and it's occurring today as we're watching a, a transformation of the American landscape politically. And so many pastors, rather than challenging despotism of corrupt government officials and informing their congregations of the necessity of resisting tyranny, are preaching unlimited submission and passive obedience. It is a rare pastor in that day, or even in our day, who has ever set, uh, sent even one remonstrance to a government official, and particularly to a high-level official. Rather, all that an official need due to be exonerated of all of his misdeeds and never be held accountable by any pastors to claim Jesus Christ came into my heart and once Jesus comes into your heart it changes your life and then every pastor forgives him uh, i.e. George W. Bush I mean you, you, you just you, you watch as this military industrial complex goes out of control and you're watching as big pharma goes out of control and the little guy gets absolutely raked over the coals and there's uh, there's a, a, a transference of wealth from middle income to all of these oligarchies and these tech oligarchies. And, and where are the pastors defending them? Where are they contending? And they use Romans 13 with this idea of, of unlimited submission and, and passive obedience to justify their apathy. And it doesn't work that way. I like what this author says. They said, but suppose our forefathers did kill their mock saint and martyr a century ago. What is that to us now? If I mistake not, this is, excuse me, this is the conclusion of um, uh, Mayhew's sermon. But suppose our forefathers did kill their mock saint and martyr a century ago, meaning King James I. What is that to us now? If I mistake not, these gentlemen generally preach down the doctrine 
of the imputation of Adam's sin to his posterity as absurd and unreasonable, notwithstanding they have solemnly subscribed what is equivalent to it in their own articles of religion, and therefore one would hardly expect that they would lay the guilt of the king's death upon us, although our forefathers had been the only authors of it. But this conduct is much more surprising when it does not appear that our ancestors had any more hand in it than their own. However, bigotry is sufficient to account for this and many other phenomena which cannot be accounted for in any other way. Although the observations of this anniversary seem to have been at least superstitious in its original and although it is often abused to be very bad purposes by the established clergy as they serve themselves of it to perpetual strife, a party split, and divisions in the Christian church. It's like this is being written today, but this is, this is the 1700s. I hope you're tracking me and you haven't fallen asleep. If you've fallen asleep, rewind it when it ends. You've got to understand this. Pay attention. This isn't a time to be snoozing. And so he says, uh, a party spirit and divisions in the Christian church, yet it is to be hoped that one good end will be answered by it. Quite contrary to their intention, it is to be hoped that it will prove a standing memento that Britons will not be slaves and a warning to all corrupt counselors and ministers not to go too far in advising to arbitrary despotic measures. He still hadn't envisioned the United States of America. He wanted to hold the king accountable to tyranny. He still considered himself a Briton. And then he says to conclude, and this is the last portion of it, to conclude... Let us all learn to be free. Your heart is free. Now follow it. Let us all learn to be free and to be loyal. Let us not profess ourselves vassals to the lawless pleasures of any man on earth, but let us remember at the same time government is sacred and not to be trifled with. It is our happiness to live under the government of a prince who is satisfied with ruling according to law as every other good prince will. We enjoy under his administration all the liberty that is proper and expedient for us. It becomes us. Therefore, to be contended and dutiful subjects, let us prize our freedom, but not use our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. There are men who strike at liberty under the term licentiousness. <clears throat> there are others who aim at popularity under the disguise of patriotism. Be aware of both. Extremes are dangerous. There is a presence among us, perhaps more danger of the latter than of the former, for which reason I would exhort you to pay all due regard. And that's the conclusion of his sermon. And I, I'm, I'm moved by this because at the end of it where he says to pay due regard, and he lays this out, and he was so prominent, and it went so rapidly through all the churches in the eastern seaboard and, and mobilized people. But he concluded by saying, And while I am speaking of loyalty to our earthly prince, suffer me just to put you in mind to be loyal also to the supreme ruler of the universe, by whom kings reign and princes decree justice, to which... King, eternal, immortal, invisible, even to the only wise God, be all honor, praise, dominion, and thanksgiving through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And he concludes it. <clears throat> now, with that being said, you have one article from the Federalist, actually, uh, as, as he 
wrote of this book and covered uh, the life of Mayhew from the book that was written, he had a background in a sense of an agnostic, more of an Ayn Rand follower. He didn't see the significance of the religious fervor and where liberty comes from. And that's why I chose him as one of the folks we took a look at. Now, I want to take a religious Christian follower and to show you how we've gotten into this mess in America who reviewed this same book and look at the conclusions that he came to. Let's go to the slide and I'll read it to you. Mayhew and many other American ministers, traditionalists, and liberal alike helped feed paranoia about the threat to American liberty that Knoll, as a Christian historian, finds unfortunate and unseemly. They helped make the American Revolution and the bloody civil war in British America more likely. War usually needs sacred sanctions of some kind in order to sustain people's motivations for it. Surely there are some cases the fight against Nazi tyranny in World War II comes to mind, where, minute, where, where ministers can make a strong case for offering such, such sanction. But the American Revolution? But was the American Revolution such a case? Noel has his doubts. <clears throat> Noel was the one who reviewed the book. Thomas Kidd from the Gospel Coalition liked Noel's observations of the book. And tragically, what he stated was... <laughs> When, when he laid this out, let's go back to that slide if we could. When he, when he laid this out, he said, surely there are some cases, the fight against Nazi tyranny in World War II that come to mind, but he said war usually needs sacred sanction of some kind in order to sustain, to sustain people's motivation for it. But the most troubling statement that Noel, a, a, a quote-unquote liberal Christian historian, or excuse me, American Christian historian, he said, as a Christian historian, I find it unfortunate and unseemly that Mayhew helped make the American Revolution and the bloody civil war in British America more likely. He fed the paranoia about the threat to American liberty. This was his position on it. And then he goes on to justify that there are times where there is a need for a sacred sanction of some sort uh, for war, and that would be the fight against Nazi tyranny in World War II. But then they say, but the American Revolution, but was the American Revolution such a case? As though, you know, this, is, this just doesn't add up. Because we had the, the Tories and, and we, we had the Loyalists and we were, and they rebelled. And this Mayhew guy is the one that incited it with his paranoia. And that's, that's what you're finding here. You, you, you are a Christian nationalist, and somehow you, love, you have a love for your country, so you're not allowed to be patriotic or nationalistic because that would be considered idol worship. And, and I'm, I, I say that in all sincerity. That's how they describe this, that you, you, these, these pastors from that, that bend think that if you love your country or want to contend in a constitutional republic that gives us the rule of law and you want to have Christian investment in that area, and you love this form of government that you're a patriot and, and a nationalist, which is uh, uh, idol worship. And there's no room for it in the body of Christ, and they're staying us. Now, when they started to talk about Nazi tyranny, let's just go back a little bit. You know how we got to Nazi Germany? Because pastors use Romans 13 to declare unlimited submission to Adolf Hitler and passivity to Adolf Hitler. You had Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hung... And one of the last directives by Adolf Hitler to hang that guy before he 
killed uh, Ava Braun and then shot himself and then uh, instructed to have his bodies burned and buried because he didn't want them molested after the Russians uh, took over his bunker. But the last order he did, one of the very last orders, make sure that Bonhoeffer dies. Who was Bonhoeffer? Who was Martin Niemöller? Do your homework. These were two German pastors that stood in opposition to unlimited submission uh, as they continued to uh, disguise their popularity um, in the German church by yielding to Adolf Hitler. And, and, and what they're espousing in that, that review of this book is exactly what the, the pastors in, in Nazi Germany did. It was this unlimited submission in accordance with uh, Romans 13, and they, they talked about this as being, these are men who, who are disguised, you know, they're, they're, they're patriots, but they're disguising their idolatry. And, and now they're, they're declaring for unlimited submission to Romans 13, and this is exactly what Mayhew went after. So we're, we're watching the 1700s all over again, and now they're invoking Nazi Germany as so there's some sort of a mandate for a just war. When we got into that war because of the theology they applied, that, that Niemöller would be put in prison and so would Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but the others still got their pensions in their churches and the churches still met. And, and when the rail cars filled with Jews who were considered non-human were on their way to be slaughtered, over six million of them, and you could hear the groaning in the rail cars, the German church that submitted uh, in accordance with Romans 13, like the Loyalists and the Tories and the guy here that was espousing kids' commentary, or kids' commentary espousing Knowles, this unlimited submission to Romans 13, as these rail cars came through with human beings dying of thirst and starvation, crowded into cars where they're defecating on themselves in the heat, and the moans would be so loud. You know what they do in the Ger German church on Sunday, hearing those groans? They'd sing louder. They'd sing louder. And it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said to Adolf Hitler in the presence of all the other clergy, as Hitler said, you know, I'm going to take care of your pensions, I'm going to take care of your churches, you're still going to get to meet, you're still going to get to study and do all those things. And, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Herr Hitler, um, I'm not concerned about my pension. I'm not concerned about my building. I'm concerned about the soul of Germany. At which point all those pastors started to kind of step away because they, they don't want to contend with the man with power. Their passive, passiveness and their unlimited submission to Romans 13, they scoot away from Niemöller and Bonhoeffer. And Hitler looks at them angry, knowing you're challenging my authority. He looks at them and he says, leave the soul of Germany to me. Oh, we saw what that did. Six and a half million Jews wiped out. Over 50 million people dead as a result of World War II because pastors unlimited submission. And by the way, that was the number one quoted verse prior to the Nazis taking over and trying to justify Adolf Hitler's rise to power as the church would justify its silence and its unlimited submission to Romans 13. And, and still they had, hundreds of years earlier, with Jonathan Mayhew, somebody who contended for Romans 13 and laid it out. Now, I want to take a look at Romans 13. Let's pull it up. Here's the passage of controversy. Romans 13, verses 1 through 4, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And 
it goes on to say, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister uh, to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger, of, uh, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So come back to me if you would, and uh, I just I want to get back to this, that these pastors of the day who were loyal to the tyrant king were called royalists and loyalists, and they taught unlimited submission to this passage and passive obedience in all cases, irrespective of how wicked the ruler was and how tyrannical his acts towards his subjects were. And we see this in American churches today. Many pastors, rather than challenging despotism and corrupt government officials and informing their, their, their congregations of the necessity of resisting tyranny, are preaching this unlimited submission and passive obedience. Not one mask, you wear two masks now. Now it's six feet. Now you can't sing because the spittle travels. Now you've got to be behind a glass. And if they told you that the virus only operated four feet and above, they could get us all to crawl. And they say it's about science, but they, they do a quarantine from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. as though somehow the virus understands time. And they, they say it's about science while the governor has dinner, shoulder to shoulder, no masks, with the medical officer of California and 24 of his cronies with a, a bar bill that was unbelievable. And the, the price of an hors d'oeuvre at the French Laundry is the same as an average welfare check for somebody whose job he just snuffed out. Oh, but you know, Romans 13. Romans 13, we, we can't challenge that. It's unlimited submission and it's passive obedience. We can't challenge that. I, I'm not political. Well, this is the whole point of Jonathan Mayhew's sermon. That's why I want you to read it. That's why I want you to get the book. The way he approaches this, I'll take you through it. Let's go back to Romans 13. I'll walk you through it. Here you go. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Amen. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Yes. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Yes. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Yes. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So you see a contrast between good and evil, good and evil, good and evil. He's there for our good. If he is no longer a king operating for the context of good, then he's a tyrant. Now, you can say, is that arbitrary? Are we allowed to decide? Well, you can't do it for light and transient reasons, as our Declaration of Independence so amazingly pointed out. You have to list the causes. You have to go through it. But he's there for our good. He's there for our good. Now, if we could go back to Romans 13 again, I, I want to show you it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, when he did this sermon in 17, what, 1750, I think it was, um, on occasion, 
I, I can't find the title of it, but when he did this sermon, and it was passed out around the country, we didn't have a constitutional republic like we have today. These founders of our nation were so influenced by this sermon and the way that he took a look at tyranny that you are not allowed to take away an individual's God-given rights. He would glean this from John Locke and a number of these other Enlightenment um, thinkers, and he would start to realize man has individual freedoms. He, he is, he's given by God, created in his image. We're relational. We're free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. Christ has come to set the captives free. The entire story of Exodus is about setting captives free. The law are the wise restraints that make men free. It's all about freedom. And everywhere in, in the history of the world where you see slavery being abolished, it's Christians who contend for it. Civil rights, Christians contending for it. Child labor laws, Christians contending for it. Women's suffrage, Christians contending for it. Now, you would have also in Christendom those that would be loyalists and Tories who would declare unlimited submission to Romans 13 and the kings allowed to take away individual freedoms of, of people. But the ones that would stand in revolution and those like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King who'd be in a jail in Birmingham, Alabama and the pastors would ridicule him and yet he would say, you know, you're on the wrong side of history because you're not in prison with me. But they didn't have a constitutional republic back when... Jonathan Mayhew had this verse. And so what they did is now when you get to Romans 13, it's real easy for us pastors, any, any pastor in the United States of America in a constitutional republic reading Romans 13, let's do it again. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Stop. Stop. Who is the governing authority in a constitutional republic? Who is that? The founders made it really simple. Let's go to the preamble of the Constitution. The authority? We the people. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. You see, the authority in America is we the people. Oh, and those like Governor Newsom who rules with tyranny and violates his oath of office of the U.S. Constitution, which he swore to defend, which that's the constraints that bind him, that he is, we are giving him our authority on loan. He governs by consent, but he is bound by that oath of office not to violate our inalienable rights. And when he does that, when he does that, it is our responsibility to push back. We cannot allow unlimited submission and, and passive obedience to a governor who violates these rights. Now, it's easier to use Romans 13 in unlimited submission so that you don't get picked on and get fined and get ridiculed and the newspaper makes fun of you and, and they call you super spreaders and everything else. And, and you can dial it down and just like a twig on the banks of a mighty river, you go with the flow. And that flow is going downstream to the swamp where the homeless that have lost their jobs and those who have fallen back into substance abuse through the, the, the absolute depression of being locked in over nothing and their lives have been shattered and taken, 
those who have considered suicide more than ever before and, and the phone lines are lighting up because the abuser quarantined with the abusers and we're watching our elderly die alone. This is bad governance. And it is in accordance with Romans 13 that the pastor should be the ones making a stand. And yet, if you want to look at Romans 13 and, and label that with unlimited submission and passive obedience then you're part of the problem. In a constitutional republic where we, the people, are the authority. It's fascinating. Let's look at our birth certificate. Uh, here's the slide. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That means you can't take them away and you can't give them away. They're always there. And they're given by God. That among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness or virtue. But to secure these rights, this is the purpose for government. And it's instituted among men. And they derive their just powers from the consent of us, we the people. And they're bound by the U.S. Constitution and the seven articles and the 27 amendments. Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So I, I, th is that, I think that's all the slides I have in relation to that, but I, I do want to read to you a little more from this amazing birth certificate that we have been under. This is the longest surviving nation in the history of the world that was incorporated under one article of incorporation under one birth certificate. We've been under it for now coming up to 200 and almost 45 years. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary. Now... It says that this is a unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. And as I read through this, I want you to know that what you're, what you're hearing started in the pulpit with Jonathan Mayhew, John Locke, and the scriptures themselves as they took the principles of liberty and man's freedom and inalienable rights. And they saw the laws of nature, and nature's God, that God gave us the ability to see these things and revealed knowledge and to study, to show ourselves approved and whatever things are true. And that's why we have to dig. And that's why we have to stand. And you can't use a verse um, for, for your justification of apathy and inactivity by just saying, well, God appointed that governor and it's all going to work out and God's in control. Yeah, God was in control during slavery too. God was in control when six and a half million Jews died. Yeah, God was in control. But the government's there when all of those quote-unquote Christian pastors scooted away from Niemöller and Bonhoeffer and allowed this machinery to obliterate humanity. And Bonhoeffer was even put in prison for attempting an assassination on Adolf Hitler, an evangelical pastor attempting an assassination on a sitting... I mean, you, you, you can't Google that. It just blows your mind. How do you process that? And, and this is a man that was educated in, in churches in black America in Harlem. He, 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 he loved the Lord. But he just couldn't see this machinery destroying humanity because they would declare Jews to be less than human. We're doing that today by saying babies are not fully human. Where are the pastors? Oh, I'm sorry, Romans 13. That's right. That's right. My bad. Ah. Unlimited submission, passive obedience. We, we don't need to do that. God appointed that position. 
I, I just, I, and, and you're you're exercising that in a nation where the where where folks bled and died to secure your ability to make that stand. And yet these folks pledging their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. One in nine Americans will fight in the Revolutionary War. We want to rewrite history. We want to say that there was nothing significant in it. You want to have the Gospel Coalition and all of these authors, Kid writing on behalf of, of uh, uh, Todd and, and laying all that out and, and saying that this was a, a, a bloody revolution from the British Empire. Well, then why don't you, why don't you go back and be a Tory and a Loyalist? What? Why would this nation that's afforded you more freedom than any other nation in the history of the world, why would you remain here if you feel it to be so rebellious? And yet, pledging their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, they, um, they laid this out. July 4, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America went in the course of human events. That means any time, any people. This was a declaration for all mankind of liberty. The realization that this is how God made us. We're to be free. He always intended us to be free. No man will rule another. And if he does, he does it by our consent. Because we're accountable to God and accountable to each other. Those are the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law of the prophets. There's no enslaving of other human beings. It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And so they do that. And that's where you get that. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That's a Jeffersonian way of saying any idiot can understand this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. And here you go. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter it or to abolish it. And to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will indicate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience representation in the legislature a right estim uh, inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. Um, so... I'm sorry, no, has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. I want to read that again, and I, I'm sorry I screwed that up. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes according to all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they're accustomed. You'd rather take Romans 13 and justify your apathy and just go like a twig on the banks of a mighty river than to contend with evil and apply Romans 13 for its true measure. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations uh, pursuing invariably the same 
object invents a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such a government. And to provide new guards for their future security, such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. And to prove this, let the facts be submitted to a candid world. And they go through a massive list of all of these, stating what he has refused to do. And then it concludes at the end of it. And I'll leave you with this. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assemble, assemble appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And here you go, listen. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So you say it's not a Christian nation. Well, it's a God-fearing nation. The birth certificate appealed to heaven for its success, taking on the greatest empire that had just defeated the second greatest empire. You say there's nothing miraculous in that. You say there's, that, um, there's no American exceptionalism. There's, there's no divine inter intervention. Dismiss all that. Fine. But that still brings us back to the articles of incorporation and to what we have in front of us. Men are free. Tyrants are not to be tolerated. When they, when they break their oath, it is our responsibility to address it. Now, if the church wants to be passive in unlimited submission and redefine Romans 13 in accordance with what they did in Nazi Germany and avoid what Jonathan Mayhew did when, when he established and, and influenced an entire generation that would bring us the country you're now enjoying the fruits of, okay, I get it. You're a loyalist and a Tory. But for us, the idea is man is to be free. That's all we're stating. We have the right to worship freely. No governor can tell us what to do. It's just that simple. It's laid out. This is what he swore to defend. And he's not allowed to use executive orders to bypass the legislature, especially when we now know the, the, how the virus operates and who it's affecting. And we now have the numbers. And no matter how much they want to drum it up and they want to get different strains and frighten us and scare us and pit us against one another, we're just not going to do it. We're free. We've always been free. I will remain free. I will declare that maybe behind bars. But I'm free. And that's the joy. I'm accountable to God and accountable to each other. I'm not a super spreader. I, I, I've done my homework. I, I work with the people in my community, and we're, we're doing fine. We're doing well. And they believe in individual freedom, and they make choices, and choices come with consequences, and they're content with that. They want to go about their lives. And the church is essential. 
It's always been and always will be. Long before Governor Newsom arrived and long after he leaves this earth, it'll still be essential. But I will say this to every person on the face of the earth. There is a king who has always been enthroned and always will be. And one day we will stand before him. doesn't matter what religion you follow. All religions lead to God. Only one religion leads to heaven. But the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die. Then we stand before God. And he will judge the living and the dead. And he's supreme. He's preeminent. He's not prominent. He's preeminent. Whether we recognize it or not, it's like saying, I don't believe in gravity. It doesn't matter. It's the law. He's preeminent. He always has been. And every government will be subject to him. The government is on his, his shoulders. And I got news for you. Every government flourishes when people acknowledge that we're accountable to him and to each other and we don't lie and we don't steal and we don't cheat and we don't commit adultery and we don't covet. Socialism is a violation of two of the Ten Commandments. You don't steal and you don't covet. We can go through that later in time, but I just I wanted you all to know Jonathan Mayhew and, and what we experienced and then what happened in Nazi Germany, it all boils down to Romans 13 and how the clergy wants to use it for either justifying unlimited submission or seeing it as a call against tyrants. And that's where we stand in America today. So, I still don't, it, it's, it's not a time for a revolution, but it certainly is a time for us to realize that we don't have to have unlimited submission and, 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 and prostrate ourselves in front of this tyranny. Open your church, Pastor. Open your church. I have news for you. Your congregants are, are, are at our church, and they, they, they really miss you. And they want you to open your church. And if you're afraid of your attorneys and your elders, well, hey, why don't you guys start being more Christian than you are legalists? The law is important, but don't forget there's a greater law. And, and if you weaponize the law to cause people to be in disobedience to God's law, that's a problem. Because God's law is never a bad thing for humanity. Freedom is a good thing. It really is. Let's have more of it. So, God bless you guys. I'm going to say this blessing to all of you tonight. And it's out of number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Uh, it's, it's critical that we, we re-examine these old books, dust them off, get to know them, read about Jonathan Mayhew. We're going to do some more history lessons. Don't tune out. This is critical for such a time as this. One of the reasons why you can overcome a people is because of their apathy and ignorance, and they just become lazy and they're easily dominated. But when you have a mind and you use it, and you know you're free and you realize who made you and, and what he's called you to, you, you, you can't be enslaved. So, there you have it. We'll see you tomorrow night. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you again tomorrow.